Welcome to the Israel Conversation by the Massah Leadership and Impact Center. We are informally debating issues that concern Zionists about life, culture, and politics in Israel. Shalom, everyone. This is Kalev Bendor. I'm moderating today's debate conversation, as I basically prefer, with Mike and Matthew. How are you both? Lovely to see you. I'm very well, thank you, Kalev. Me too, thanks. Good, glad to hear it. We are in tense times in Israel at the moment. The judicial plans from the government are seemingly moving ahead full steam. And there are increasing calls by reservists uh, in the IDF to stop coming for reserve duty. There were reports that a very kind of elite Air Force unit was, who were primarily uh, volunteers were going to stop coming. And uh, just in the last few days, we've also seen that other reservists are also seriously considering not uh, reporting for duty in protest at what the government is planning on doing. And so that is what we are going to debate today. To what extent should IDF service or miluim be used as a either a political tool or, or a pressure a valve to try and influence government policy. So, Matthew, we will start with you. Tell us your opinion, please. Okay. So, I am arguing that within sort of the status quo, which is currently being quoted by even the opposition politicians, is that people need to turn up to their reserve duty, that any sort of civil disobedience has to be civil, <laughs> I guess, as opposed to setting fire to things or, or, or blocking streets and, and that sort of thing. And I think all of these arguments that we're hearing about how people are reacting to the the reforms, the whatever words that we want to use to describe it, there's a deep sense of fear and frustration that the fear comes from, oh my God, what is happening to our country? The frustration comes from, there's not that much I can do about it, right? I've, I've, I voted in God knows how many elections, and I'm doing all the different things I'm supposed to be, and still no one's listening to me. No one's taking care of the of the needs of the country. That, that that's the frustration which is now boiling over. So how do people deal with that frustration? They use the koach that they have, and one of the power, the, yeah, sorry, one of the power and the strengths that people have is they have this unwritten contract with the state that the state will continue to to function in a reasonable way, reasonability is something that's up for debate recently, but the state will continue to function as a liberal democracy and people will go and do the, the duty which has been expected of them, which is to go to serve in the army. And now people are saying, listen, you're breaking your side of the contract, so I have the power to break my side of the contract. And I think that gets us into very dangerous waters. That gets us into the area of complete anarchy. If I can do whatever I want and you can do whatever you want, there's no social cohesion there. There's no contract there. And people feel that the contract has been broken, but two wrongs don't make a right. One of the founding principles, I think, of the state has been that we're in this together to protect the state, to to thrive, to grow. And we need reservists. We do. We need the Air Force pilots. We need to know that our borders are protected, that our streets are safe. And if people use their power in that way of refusing to turn up, then we could really be in even more trouble than we are now. I, I really do see where it's coming from. I absolutely do. Because again, there's this frustration that people feel they don't have any other recourse. This is the only way they can go about doing it. I know, for example, I've mentioned this before in the podcast, I've been attending local protests in Modian, where I live. And I'm also on several different protest WhatsApp groups in Modian. And we had a protest last week. There was about 2,000 people came to a major junction that connects Modian to the highway. 
And people were standing on the side of the road. Nobody was like actually jumping into the middle of the street, with the exception of a few people. And afterwards, one of the people who had been jumping into the middle of the intersection, he wrote, I'm not coming to any more of your protests anymore because they're too calm and they're too peaceful and I don't want part of this anymore. And then there was a whole debate, of course, <laughs> this is Israel, right? Everybody was having a debate, having their say about whether it was right that this, he was in his 70s, this guy, that he was like lying down in the middle of the street. <laughs> and other people were responding, if you do that, we don't know there's an ambulance further up the highway that can't get through because of all the traffic. I myself... And my dear father-in-law, Joel, if you are listening, hi, Joel. But a I'm couple sure of years ago, he's listening. He Shepping Nachas, must be. He does listen. Must be. Um, a couple of years ago, I was stuck on Route 4 coming back from Ashkelon, where my father lives. There were people protesting about disability payments and disability things. We were stuck on the highway for two and a half hours. I had two children with me and my mother-in-law and father-in-law. You can imagine how <laughs> pleasant that situation was. And at a certain point, I was like, you know what, screw this. I, I, I can't support this anymore. I, of course, I identify with people wanting more benefits and needing more support. But at a certain point, you lose people's support and people go against the cause. And I'm worried that any sort of protest, which includes blocking streets, blocking roads, or having those Miluim Nikim who are turning up, the reservists who are turning up, is going to lose support for the protests and for the demonstrations because people are going to be, well, why am I turning up when my neighbor is refusing to turn up and I don't agree with him? And that's just going to create more and more problems. And so my, my bottom line is we need to, to continue to work as a society, even if we disagree with what our government is doing, because otherwise it's just going to turn into Lord of the Flies and we're all just going to end up eating each other and it's not a good thing. No, eating each other is not a good thing. Yes, I think we can all agree with that, Matthew. Okay. Well, I, well I, now Matt has put me in the position of arguing that it is a good thing for us all <laughs> to, to eat, eat each other. Well, some people are, some people are more edible than others. I guess. I guess. Uh, okay, so I, I do have a couple of questions, but be, before we get to the question stage, uh, Mike. Yeah. So, uh, well, I, I do going to be arguing for the Lord of the Flies model. I am not arguing Lord of the Rings I, I, model. Although I even. think Matt did a uh, a yeoman's job of framing his position. I, I I'm not going to be boxed in by that closing formulation. I'm not in defense of Lord of the Flies, but I, I will say, in order to allow me to frame the position that I'm representing in in this episode. Let me point out that recently, in response to one of these people tweeting about how they're going to not serve the military, that their family for generations are honorable servants in the army, uh, Batal Smotrich, the finance minister of the current government, said, and this is why our side will win. because, And he used a rabbinic aphorism, and he said, uh, our love for the state is ahavash e'natuliyabadavar. It's a love without any conditions. We have an unconditional love. And these people who disagree with us have a conditional love. So I don't want to interrupt you. I'm just wondering, is that, is that the same Smotrich that was arrested for protesting during disengagement and blocking yeah. roads? Okay, no, okay, uh, well, it's to... also the same Smotrich who told people not to join the army if they were going to draft women and to collapse the army. Right. We're not, listen. I'm just wondering which, when you say The capability of politicians which... to be hypocrites and to, you know, where you stand is based on where you sit and where you sit is based on where you stand. That's classic. I, I, I think that what Matt is framing is not, depending on how important the issue is to me, that's where the line goes. And I, I think that's the right way to frame it. I think that you're pointing out that a politician is a hypocrite is correct. I don't know that we're going to find a lot of politicians who are immune to that. But when he said that our love for the state is unconditional, davar literally means connected to something. And, and what it means is something external. That's what the rabbinic aphorism means. And its example is 
of uh, a love that isn't David based on anything David, so it, is da- David and Jonathan, that their love was platonic. And so it wasn't based on anything. It was two souls being friends, as opposed to their example is of a rapist, Amnon raping Tamar, that he was interested in her body, but not in who she is. And so it was a lo- love of her as an object, not as, a, as an individual. And essentially what the rabbis are saying is, if you love something in its essence, then your love will be stable. But if it's love of a outside quality, a non-essential characteristic, then that is not a stable form of love. And so that's what Smotrich is saying. He's saying, you love democracy. That's not what Israel is. It Maybe it is, maybe it has been, but it's not essential. Essentially, it's Jewish, and it's my idea of Jewish. And so essentially, we love Israel, the Jewish state, and democracy is an outside, non-essential characteristic. You may like it, that's your business, but you're missing the point of what Israel really is. And what I think these soldiers who are refusing to serve it are saying is, you're absolutely wrong. We, who are arguably in, in special forces, in air force, in intelligence units, we who sacrifice arguably, and are willing to pay heavy sacrifices out of our deep, essential love for this country, are telling you that this is not a normal protest circumstance. They would probably agree with most of Matt's formulation on most political issues. But you're changing the essential nature of the state. You're saying that democracy is dismissible. We can't love that state because to us, Jewish and democracy are essential elements. And if you break this state, what army am I serving in? And it's, it's by the way, it's not just principled in that sense. It's also practical. I'll give you a couple examples. Let's say I'm an Air Force pilot and God forbid my plane goes down, I'm trapped behind enemy lines. Or I go on a vacation. There is an argument in the anti-Israel world that international courts should subject these soldiers and pilots to international tribunals for trials. And one of Israel's defenses on that is, and, and internationally this is recognized, if you come from a country with a legal system, then it's not up to any international tribunal. This isn't Nuremberg after the fall of the Nazi regime that we have a responsibility as an international tribunal to try you for crimes against humanity. There is an Israeli court system. There's a judicial system. If you've committed a crime, we expect your country to deal with it. Therefore, it is not the jurisdiction of any international tribunal. These pilots are saying, well, if you destroy in the eyes of the world our judicial system, we are now not immune to international tribunals. You're making it very difficult. If you, Batsalo Smotrich, who say that my love is conditional, say that the army should burn down the city, an Arab city of Huara, am I going to be given an order as an Air Force pilot to burn that city? What country am I living in? What, what Matt was describing was, and, and, and Matt described it as sort of this like last resort, if voting didn't work, that I would argue even differently. Protesting is one of the ways in a democracy that the demos expresses itself to its elected leaders. If if I hire, you are my leaders for the next four years. Okay, well, I'm calling you in for a, a review of your service so far. And we, as the board, are saying we are unsatisfied with your work. That's what protest is. I would argue that in, in, you know, in this podcast episode, this is something else entirely. You are changing the essential nature of the state by destroying checks and balances. This is no longer a democracy. It is not safe for me to serve in this military. I am not 
fighting for the Medina Yisrael, the state of Israel, as declared in the Declaration of Independence. You've broken the promises of the Declaration of Independence. You've created a new state. If you want me to serve in that army, well, we'll have to negotiate that from the beginning. But what you've done is you've changed the very ground on which I stand. This is a, an exceptional rule. Now, I understand you could argue, well, that's because you care about these things. And of course, ultimately, that's true. Smotrich disagrees. Smotrich thinks democracy isn't. But I think it's a, it's a fairly coherent argument to say, if you're changing the terms on which the basic laws are commonly understood, the Declaration of Independence is commonly understood, you're changing those terms in the eyes of the majority, not only of Israelis, but of Jews and of planet Earth. That's a pretty good background to say that I have an objective as close as possible to an objective criteria to say you're shifting the ground under me. Now, in terms of blocking traffic, I think that's a different tactical question in terms of what impression is it making. Look, ambulances have sirens. So if there's an ambulance a mile down the road, it, it's the job of people to get out of the way. I'm not, in other words, that, that I'm not so but worried about. But if they can't, that, that, that was my experience when I was stuck in this traffic with I don't think you had a sign. You just didn't like being with your in-laws, Matthew. I mean that was I love you. Sorry, I, mean, I love you, Joe. I'm sorry. I mean your children. Also. You didn't like No, but your car doesn't have a siren, Matthew. No, no, but once there's a, a block of traffic, if there's like a three-lane highway and there's nowhere to go, that was the problem. They couldn't there's get There's always through. somewhere to go. Maybe. I don't know. Whatever. I don't want to get into that. But right. but that that's basically the position that this this is an absolute exception to normal circumstances and that's the argument for Sirup Kudot refusing orders. Refusing orders. Okay, so I thought both of those were, were very interesting and, and effective arguments. Just a couple of thoughts. I, Matthew, I was trying to work out if your argument, I mean, Mike just talked about it now, is it more tactical, as in protesters need to not lose the majority of the country? And, you know, I actually think we have quite a low tolerance for any sort of inconvenience. You know, so the teachers are striking. Yes, of course, very important. Two days at home with the kids. Mm -hmm. They need to, you know, they, you know, <laughs> we've got no, so so I think I, I wonder if it's a kind of it's a tactical argument, whether it's a well, it's playing chicken. It's right. a you, you, how long, leader, are you willing to we're not only annoyed, now we've annoyed everybody else. How long can you handle it? Right. But I think it very soon the public turns on. The protesters. Yeah. So ev everyone wants disabled people to get more whatever. But if they block the aisle on for a couple of hours, there are large numbers of people who suddenly have no sympathy for them mm -hmm. anymore. So I actually think the public has got a very, quite a, a thin skin. But I'm just wondering whether, is it a, a, a tactical argument? Is it a practical argument? As in, you know, today it will be the the democracy lovers who who don't come to serve, and tomorrow it will be the national religious greater land of Israel people who don't come to serve, and then we won't have an army. Or is it a more philosophical argument? I guess I guess that's that, that's for both of you. And I also just wonder to what extent is it significant that the government is basically run by a lot of people who either did not go to the... I mean, Netanyahu, <laughs> Netanyahu did, you know, excluding him. I mean, either people who didn't go to the army... Forces, be, yes, absolutely, absolutely. All, all three Netanyahu mm -hmm. brothers. Either people who didn't go to the army at all, like Ben Gvir, because he was considered too dangerous to be drafted, or people who ideologically opted out, like the Haredim, or people like Smotrich, who I don't know, did like a year and a bit in a non-elite unit at all. I just wonder to what extent that also plays into this debate. Okay. So in terms of the practical versus the philosophical issue? Yeah, tactical, practical, philosophical. Tactical, practical, philosophical. <laughs> okay. My, my personal feeling in terms of there's a limit to how far the protest should go is a combination of all three, right? To sort of start in the middle one, 
with that practical, the, the way you framed it is a little different to the way I would have thought about it previously, but you're right. If I can refuse orders today, my next door neighbor who is arguing against a different issue can refuse his orders tomorrow. And then, as you say, the army falls apart. And unfortunately, we're still in a position where we, we, we need an army. We, need, we do need that. So I think that's the practical piece of it, that yes, we have to make sure that there is a unified sense of listening to orders and an army is there to, to carry out its orders. It's not there to start making political protests. That's one. In terms of philosophical issues, I wonder how, how, what the difference is between practical and philosophical. There is a difference. I can't quite formulate it in my head, but philosophically, I, I believe that there is a limit to what people should be doing in terms of protesting. And yes, I believe the the fact that the state of Israel has had such a strong ethic of the of the people's army, everybody serves together. Doesn't matter whether you're rich or you're poor, or whether you're Mizrahi or whether you're Ashkenazi. Right? Everybody does it. And I think the danger of something like this is that soon we'll get to a point where not everybody's doing it, and that creates a whole other raft of prof- problems. And then in terms of st- strategy, yeah, I, I I do think there's a point to this that people are going to start losing the the wider support that they have if the people that 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 is an issue. Although some would say that strategically, you really really have to annoy people, like really really annoy people to get anywhere. Um, the example I was thinking of when you were asking the question, so my wife is an English teacher. There are two different sets of unions. I don't know if people are aware of that out there, but there are two different teachers' unions. One covers mostly high school and one covers mostly elementary school. When the high school teachers strike, nobody cares because they high can... High school kids take care of themselves. High school kids can take care of themselves. Parents can still go to work. Parents can still care, get on with their regular day. When the elementary school teachers strike, the parents start getting really upset and put pressure on, on the government because they can't carry on with their regular days. They can't go to work. So the, there is that element of you really have to annoy people and inconvenience them if you want to make an impact. Mm-hmm. And that comes back to that game of chicken that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Like how far are we going to push it till somebody blinks? Now I was talking about the judicial reform overhaul again, whatever word you want to use with my students. And at the beginning, I felt this was a game of chicken. The way, how far was Simcha Rothman? How far was Yeriv Levin? How far was Netanyahu going to push it? I thought it was a game of chicken. And then doubt started creeping in. And, and one of my students said, well, that's the whole point of a game of chicken. <laughs> you don't know when the, when the other person is going to blink. So again, the way you categorized it, strategic, philosophical, and um, practical, I think even within those confines, there, there has to be limits to, to how far the protest yeah, goes. I, I would argue that if past is prologue, then you, you've more or less proven my argument. In other words, we've had soldiers refuse orders in tiny numbers. Even during the disengagement, the army took those who weren't happy to pull people out of Gaza and just move them to other. The just numbers weren't that big. The reason the numbers are this big is because this example is exceptional. And that in a normal circumstance, Israelis absolutely agree with everything Matt said. So the army is not political. We have an apolitical army. But this isn't politics. So I guess my question to you, Mike, would be that if we look at the last 75 years and the major protests. So there have been huge divisive issues course, in so this let's country. say, you know, reparations from Germany. Mm-hmm. Oslo, after, peace uh, process. Well, uh, yeah, after the 73 war, Oslo, peace process, pro and against, disengagement, social justice mm-hmm. and, and cottage cheese. Maybe that didn't affect the IDF that much. Your argument is, is basically that this is exceptional. This, this, is, this, is, this, is cha- this is essentially the be- changing the rules of the game that we've had over the last 75 years. I'm, and therefore, it is, sorry, it, it is different in, in quality 
to any other issue that people have, have opposed. I'm arguing that's the perception of the reservists based on their behavior is that that's how they perceive it. In fact, reservists don't politicize their military service. And whatever their politics are, they work together. Whatever their politics are, they show up. By the way, some of the reservists were saying, we'll show up. We're just not going to do the training or whatever exercise. We're going to hold little, you know... Uh, democracy uh, discussions. Yeah, rap discussions on, on how democracy is supposed to work. In other words, there, there are different layers of the refusal to, to serve. And, so, and we should just clarify, this is all reservists. In the, in reservists. the 18 to 21-year-old uh, compulsory. We we haven't seen any any kind of yeah. uh, effect of this at no. all. No, but these are reservists, and you know they they sacrifice on an annual level. You know, sometimes weeks, months of their lives. It is true. Israel's security is dependent on them, and and so they are playing chicken with the government. If you're willing to burn down the democratic nature of the country, then we're willing to put its security at risk. And so it, it's exactly because. The I would argue these reservists reservists essentially agree with Matthew's position that in under regular circumstances under under almost any circumstances and they have proven that for decades that this response isn't just a sign of the time of immature soldiers who don't get how military service works I mean these are the reservists who, they, they they are who they are and and we shouldn't be in terms of what you're saying of what right do these people who didn't serve in the army have I'm always very wary of that sort of argument. I think that I, 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 I fear veering into ad hominem, where I'm, I'm discounting the arguer for who they are and not the, the logic of their argument. But here, the very fact that it's the reservists themselves means their unusual behavior in this unusual circumstance. You know, it's a little bit like in America, people arguing, well, nobody has ever brought a former president up on charges before. Well, that's true. No former president has ever called a state uh, you know, Secretary of State of a state of the United States and said, can you find me over a thousand more votes to add on to the, like, if the behavior is different, then the response is going to be different. And you, whatever side of that argument you're on, you can take. But don't be surprised that when the people in power do something different, exceptional, that there's an exceptional response from the people. Well, both of those were exceptional answers. So thank you very much. And we look forward to uh, having you with us next time. Bye bye. You've been listening to the Israel Conversation by the Massah Leadership and Impact Center. In everything we do, we hope to connect our fellows to Israel as home, that our Massah fellows will feel at home in Israel and understand more about Israel in all of its diversity. We connect our fellows to Jewish peoplehood, to feel an affinity for Judaism and a sense of belonging to the Jewish people, and the connection is active and meaningful in their lives. And finally, personal development. And in the case of this podcast, our goal is that you'll be able to use the tools and learning for reflection and future development in conversations about Israel and Judaism. If this episode is meaningful to you, please subscribe and share with somebody that you think it will be meaningful to.